0: Welcome to our special series on the future of transportation this week for Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk Lapointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. Glad you could join us. One of the first signs of a profound economic shift, perhaps even a profound shift in how a sector operates, was in shipping and the supply chain disruption and the impact on the terminals that handle incoming and outgoing goods for the world's markets. Vancouver-based GCT terminals and operating facilities here and abroad has had a unique perch on these changes and on the way the business might adapt. So we wanted to talk about the future of this form of transportation, how important it is to our economy and how it might adapt. Its CEO, Doran Grossman, joins me now. Good to have you with us. Kirk, wonderful
1: to be with you. Thanks for including me. Appreciate it.
0: well, it, um, I want to get your own appreciation of, of the events that have uh, that had a, a big intersection with your company and with the sector, but, but roll back the clock a little bit to where you were and what you began to apprehend uh, back in March. And, and I would think even for you, this would be something that preceded that when you started to see the supply chain disrupt out of Asia, for instance.
1: Yeah. Uh, So um, I was in Vancouver on March 4th and learned that the the largest international shipping conference held down in Los Angeles uh, was being canceled. It was uh, supposed to take place that week uh, with thousands of people coming in uh, to uh, dialogue and meet and all of that. And when the conference got canceled, we clearly knew that the things that we were hearing about coming out of China from the December-January timeframe and then Washington in the uh, January- february time frame had really escalated to uh, a tremendous area of concern. Now, um, I must say that uh, well, firstly, let me say a couple of things. Um, uh, the devastation that has occurred around COVID is enormous, and my condolences to the more than 200 families in British Columbia who have lost loved ones. Mm. Uh, what a tragedy. And then, you know, more recently, to see this uh, second wave of cases uh, where here in British Columbia. Uh, The cases have risen from about 10 uh, a day to 80 a day. Uh, That's obviously of grave concern. I I would comment, however, that uh, when you look at the Port of Vancouver, July year to date, the volume is only down 5%. Now, that is probably a surprise to many people. So, you know, the disruption in the supply chain uh, is of concern, but it is not that great as people may have imagined. Clearly, in our business, at uh, global container terminals. We're on the front line where the let's say the Canadian trade meets tide water road and rail. And our number one priority has been and will continue to be to ensure the uh, health of all our workforce uh, so that we can remain open for uh, business. Mm. There has been an economic and operational impact as a result of this pandemic, but I think in the most part the GCT because of all the innovation and investment and collaboration with supply chain partners that we have put in place, uh, we have remained 100% operational uh, since the beginning of the year without uh, any disruption. Now, I will confess that we do spend a lot of money uh, and time sanitizing the workplace as we should do uh, and complying with very stringent uh, hygiene and other sanitation practices. And I'm really proud of the marine terminal operators. Uh, In um, Vancouver and the ILWU workforce, our partners, and all the GCT employees uh, who have kept us safe in that uh, regard. So we had pivoted quickly for those that didn't need to work at the terminal to um, work from home, and that's worked out well for us. And the rest of the folks are uh, fully operational at the uh, terminal. Kirk,
0: yeah, but you didn't have the full luxury that some workplaces have in in dispersing people to their homes to work remotely. You obviously have to have an awful lot of hands-on uh, at your terminals and, and in, the, in the basic chain of supply, uh, feeding them as well. Um, so, so what did you institute pretty quickly in terms of practices?
1: Well, um, immediately uh, we started to set up um, sanitization stations, uh, mask availability for people to wear. Uh, At that point, it was optional. Uh, We put in numerous uh, mechanisms in place so that people would be separated by the two meters that is required um, for those that have to work on the terminal. At the end of every shift, we sanitized the equipment that people were working in. So when the next individual came uh, at the beginning of the following shift, that piece of equipment or that workstation had been fully sanitized. And for those employees of ours who were privileged enough to work from home, we uh, ensure that they were all at home working there, where they have remained uh, since uh, roughly March fifteenth, March eighteenth.
0: Hmm. What um, What lessons have you had almost instantly about how you preserve the confidence that comes with coming to a workplace every day, typically, and? feeling like you're in a safe environment. So how, how how did you have to work on that in order to ensure that it stayed, this, stayed that way?
1: Well, we have the great privilege of having an extraordinary safety program. You can well imagine the nature of the work that people do in moving containers with heavy equipment uh, lends itself to the possibility of injury. And so we have a very detailed, very meticulous Highly disciplined safety process, both at GCT Delta Port and GCT Van Term, and we built on the back of that program and set of processes the uh, sanitization program that we put in place. So it's a mindset, it's mm. discipline, it's mm. constant communication and reminders. So when you show up at the terminal, uh, there's lots of signage about what you're permitted to do and what you're not permitted to do. And obviously, we were doing this in great collaboration. With the um, ILWU uh, workforce, as well as the uh, British Columbia uh, Marine Employer Association, the BCMEA. And lots of education, lots of communication, and then um, from time to time, a a little bit of a stern talk, uh, which is probably no different than um, would be required in any other environment. No, but I think
0: what a a lot of business leaders have talked about uh, during the pandemic has also been the importance of enlisting those that are really at the front lines with whatever operations uh, exist in order to get, first of all, their insights, their ideas, in order to build your plan, uh, in, order to, in order to make sure that there is this confidence in the, in the place. So did it, did it mean different lines of communication for you all of a sudden in some respects?
1: Most certainly. Um, for every shift that commences at a terminal, there is a, uh, we call it a lunchbox talk that takes place. And mm-hmm. usually it focuses on safety. But for those three shifts a day, seven days a week, uh, those toolbox talks commenced with a discussion about sanitization and healthy practices and what the um, workforce uh, thoughts and ideas were in order to ensure that we were um, executing on healthy practices. So for example, on occasion we drive uh, our ILWU workforce out to the place of work on the terminal so instead of filling the van with uh, six or ten people, uh, we now had far fewer people in the plan and in the van, and then shuttling people back and forth. Right. Um, in that uh, respect, and then at the workstations where people were located, uh, there was all the um, handwashing uh, capacity and mask capacity that I referred to earlier, and then obviously signage um, and uh, suggestion boxes so people could let us know what ideas and thoughts they had. That we should be doing differently. Are we far
0: enough along uh, in the pandemic, Doran, to uh, maybe understand what kinds of permanent uh, changes there would be to things like protocols and shipping and protocols in, in your management of terminals? Are there, are there things that you're doing now that is, that you think will stick regardless of what the future looks like?
1: You know, the future is so opaque, but if one can imagine that we get to a point, where not only are there zero deaths a day but there are you know fewer than 10 um, cases of COVID a a day in all of british columbia uh, and there are no minor outbreaks uh, then we can begin relaxing some of these um, disciplines and processes we've put in place but i suspect kirk that for a long time uh, we will retain these um, sanitization stations where Mm -hmm. you can wash your hands put disinfectant on your hand where masks are available, uh, and the signage will remain there too, just to remind people that even though we have um, passed through this uh, terrible time, it's not very um, difficult for it to re-emerge and uh, become a problem.
0: Yeah, because presumably, uh, again without full speculation and all this, presumably these types of measures will also help you with your own absenteeism when the typical flu season arrives, for instance, in the fall and the winter?
1: Most certainly, because like, uh, you know, any winter season in uh, Vancouver, there are people catching the flu and not being able to come to work. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we roughly know what number of people that is. Uh, And I think by uh, continuing to practice these uh, sanitization and health practices, that will diminish the spread just of the regular flu uh, let alone any other virus that may uh, exist at that point in time
0: so, so let's um, maybe move beyond uh, the personnel issues here uh, and move into some of the technology and I wonder whether uh, your industry is beginning now to understand uh, what forms of technology need to be accelerated in order to achieve you know the the maximum the optimum efficiencies in a in an era where we know that we're going to have other pandemics now.
1: Yeah, so one of the opportunities and privileges that we have is that we can look backwards and then look forwards. So if you take uh, GCT Delta port, we invested $300 million in a semi-automated rail lo- rail car loading facility there that is now fully operational with seven tracks. Mm. That means that within that zone, of uh, seven tracks for the full length of the track. There is virtually nobody inside the area. Uh, There are no people in the cranes. There are no trucks driving in there. Uh, Just before the train pulls out or when it arrives, there are one or two people in there. So by fully electrifying, if you wish, uh, that uh, yard and making it semi-automated, we've reduced the opportunity for people to come into contact with equipment and people to come into contact with one another um, and avoid the potential spreading of the uh, of the virus. Uh, an example looking backwards. Now looking forwards, obviously, you know there are numerous examples I can uh, showcase where technology uh, is being deployed in safety, in sustainability, and uh, in uh, in just the general performance of our of our business. Uh, Some of those have a direct impact on reducing COVID, but not all of them necessarily do. Um, So I'll give you an example. Um, In um, Delta Port, we not only have electrified a lot of the equipment uh, and we've put in LED technology, we've put in um, automatic sensor lighting, uh, and those all remove the opportunity for dangerous human and machine interaction. So without the human-machine interaction, you have a, safety improvement, you have a healthcare improvement, uh, and you certainly get some additional uh, productivity. We've also used certain technology that allows us to deal with surge capacity. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, for example, right now in August, our volume in August is higher this year than last year. That Mm -hmm. may come as a surprise to some of our listeners here, but that is true. And as a result of some of the technology that we've put in place, we're able to deal with that surge in a more smooth kind of uh, of manner if you uh, if you wish. then there are technologies that uh, don't really benefit us from a safety or health perspective. Uh, we joined last year an inter- industry group that promotes the visibility through technology of global blockchain so yeah. between us and our shipping com- customers and our shipping customers customers the beneficial cargo owner this particular initiative called trade lens, has become um, quite powerful from a supply chain perspective. Uh, So those are some of the examples that uh, we have been uh, focused on. And these technologies, uh, as I said at the outset, have helped us in the past. uh, And those investments from the past and new initiatives that we are deploying now will help us uh, on a go-forward basis.
0: You have the word global stitched right in to the name of the company. But I think it is perceived as a global industry, even though Geographically, you might have a British Columbia base, you know, whether it's with you or the or, uh, Vancouver Port Authority. Um, I want to understand now that you, you also have this international perspective and in operating, uh, operating uh, facilities elsewhere uh, than Canada, um, whether you're starting to see any kind of particular Canadian opportunity or advantage that might be there in terms of this sector.
1: Yes. Um, I think that a very important thing in regard to this sector in Canada uh, that I would draw the attention to of the business community and British Columbians is the decision for the future to add future container capacity. So what do I mean by that? Um, Global Container Terminal operates two terminals in Vancouver in Delta Port and Van Term. And our well-respected but very tough competitor Uh, Dubai Ports World operates three container terminals in British Columbia, one up in Prince Rupert, one in the uh, the Burrard Inlet at Centum, and then a smaller one at Fraser Surrey Docks. Now, in 10 years, there is going to be a need as container volume grows for additional capacity. And this opportunity is now playing out that Canadians and British Columbians and those in the lower mainland should be paying attention to. We have proposed a project that would come on stream incrementally, uh, roughly in 10 years' time when the demand existed for it, uh, that would expand GCT Delta Port with a fourth berth. And that berth will be built around our current terminal footprint. And it is our belief that this would be the best decision for the region, Lower Mainland, for British Columbia, and for Canada. And we have that strong belief because... We have a history of successful expansion. People may know that we're investing 160 million dollars right now in Vanterm, uh, and within 90 days, look out of your window and you'll see two new beautiful ship-to-shore cranes going underneath the Lions Gate Bridge. Uh, we've invested all the money I referred to earlier in Delta Port. When we think about this Delta Port berth four, we've got the history. Uh, we're a Canadian-owned company, so we've got private capital to pay for it. It is our firm belief, and we've got uh, studies that we've already done, that uh, Delta Port Birth Four will be less disruptive uh, and less risky to the very sensitive ecology that exists in in the Roberts Bank area, and also to the very important Indigenous crabbing and fishing grounds. Yeah, and our expansion is uh, with a lower price tag. So, within about sixty days, Kirk, we'll be submitting our official initial project description to the Impact Assessment Agency of Canada, and the British Columbia Environmental Assessment Office in this regard, and um, British Columbians and Canadians will need to pay attention to the opportunity whether this is really the best project for Canada, or an alternative one uh, proposed by the Vancouver Fraser Port Authority uh, is uh, is better.
0: I know that we could get into the weeds about the. The competing uh, bids and the competing uh, proposals. But I think maybe the the question that I'd like to get that's perhaps overarching uh, both of those is what you perceive now to be the political climate in both this country and in the province around, uh, around expansion and around conditions that will help the industry, whoever the operators are, to optimize their operations.
1: You know, I don't want to uh, suggest that I'm an expert in the politics of uh, the federal government in Ottawa or the provincial government in uh, Victoria, but I will make a couple of observations. Um, firstly, the conversations that we have with Transport Canada, with the Minister of Environment, uh, with the, the Department of Ocean and Fisheries, uh, both in Victoria and Ottawa, are Expansive and deep and frequent. And I always find that the uh, ministers and their deputies and their policy makers take the time to listen to us and understand what our thoughts and ideas are. And that's true also of the Canadian Infrastructure Bank mm-hmm. uh, that uh, the premier set up to uh, invest in uh, Canadian infrastructure. Now, clearly, uh, the Canadian government doesn't want um, public. Money is crowding out private investment. We're a private company. Our investment um, Moneys come from either banks or the cash that we generate Uh, our owners are canadians the um, uh, Canadian ontario teachers pension plan or the british columbia investment management group and we have the money to invest in a project like this and I think that especially in a post-covid environment where Quite naturally, there's going to be a real shortage of capital that the federal government and the provincial government has when projects are presented that don't require money from the taxpayers, and that taxpayer money can be used elsewhere. I would hope, uh, and I have seen, that projects that are funded by the private sector get uh, preference, uh, allowing the infrastructure to be put in place and not to uh, burden the Canadian and British Columbian taxpayer unduly. I,
0: I, uh, okay, so I didn't get you to really nibble on that one. Um, but I do want to ask a, a question about supply chains, because I, what I'm hearing you say uh, today is that perhaps we, um, we might have judged as being a little uh, heavier the impact on, uh, on the industry than actually, uh, actually occurred in the early days of the of the pandemic in terms of the uh, disruption to the supply chain. We were hearing of course back in December in January and February you know a lot of ships that weren't sailing from uh, from Asia because of this disrupted supply chain and as you know uh, it's often it's, it's given rise to a lot of uh, protectionist rhetoric um, in North America around the necessity that you know, have, our, have duplicate supply chains, supply chains that are closer to home, they're repatriated, that sort of thing. Um, so, so it's a long-winded way of asking you a question, but, you know, uh, in a way, uh, um, what, what do you speculate will be our, our trading pattern here in the next number of years? And will it change on the basis of what's happened in the last six months or so?
1: I don't think that our trading pattern in Canada is going to change dramatically. Uh, I think there may be certain kinds of products and medications and things like that that may be uh, repatriated for production back in North America and in Canada. So we're not necessarily dependent to the full extent that we have been on uh, foreign governments that are not necessarily as friendly to us as we would like them to be. And and that may well include. personal protection equipment uh, that is manufactured within Canada and the U.S. for uh, local demand. Um, but I think Canada is a trading nation. It has always been a trading nation. Its, pro- its proximity to Asia will never change, at least not in a couple mm-hmm. of generations' time. Sure. And the opportunity to move a product uh, from be it China or Japan or Taiwan or, Taiwan or North Korea uh, through the Pacific Ocean, uh, across the shortest distance into Vancouver, uh, and British Columbia, is a you know is a fact, and I don't think that's going to change much. Um, we are going to be remain dependent on those countries. Some of them a little more friendly towards us. Some may be a little less. Um, as time goes on, um, you referenced earlier uh, that uh, we may have anticipated a higher disruption to the supply chain. And we did anticipate. It just never played through. Fewer Hmm. ships did come. That's factually correct. But those ships were more heavily loaded. Uh And by virtue of fewer ships and more heavily loaded ships, the shipping companies have done quite well. But I will say that um, the ongoing trade tensions between uh, Canada and, and the U.S., maybe more so the U.S. and China, uh, need to get resolved. And a, a big piece of the resolution of that uh, will hinge upon the political decision made here in the U.S. in early November when mm-hmm. the election for the U.S. president takes place and the Senate takes place. And to forecast what the outcome of that is going to be uh, is impossible at this point. But no. the, the, the uncertainty certainly does remain, uh, and we need to remain nimble to deal with that uncertainty, Kirk.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, let's not uh, let's not just speculate on where the U.S. politics are going. But uh, one one last issue, and it's it's something that I, I've taken time to ask a lot of the uh, chief executives uh, in, in in based in this province and elsewhere during this pandemic. Your your own management styles have had to probably adapt a bit, uh, but I also wonder how it is that you're personally taking care of yourselves. In all of this, to make sure that you um, that you're operating optimally as well in all of it. So, you know, I, I see you at the home there, and uh, you know very clearly you're not not uh, ensconced in your office. Um, what are you doing for yourself?
1: Well, thank you for asking that question. Uh, it is uh, at the top of uh, my wife's mind uh, very often. Um, I uh, work out both in the early morning. Uh, before 7, and in the uh, late afternoon before dinner, uh, and I was not working out that much before. Um, I am a privileged guy in that I have space in my home uh, and an outdoor area, so I've been eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner uh, on the deck uh, and taking 15 minutes or 20 minutes just to uh, decompress, enjoy the beauty of the uh, trees and the grass and the birds and the fresh air, which I would not been, have been able to do uh, if um, I was not ensconced in my home. I may have been sitting in a restaurant or grabbing some takeout uh, on um, <laughs> Water Street or somewhere in the, uh, uh, you know, around the waterfront area in Vancouver. Uh, so those are important things to do. Um, I will confess that I took a week and went away with my wife, not as a vacation week, but a work week to a beautiful area in Massachusetts and. Uh, Uh, We hiked uh, and I worked and we biked and I worked and we ate and I worked and blended the two together. So it gave me some, uh, uh, let's say, emotional and mental opportunity to be in a different place and not working from the home office every day. Uh, And we're fortunate enough in that we're leaving this coming Friday for a beautiful spot in upstate New York to go on vacation without doing any work. Well, are these practices, do you think, going to stick with you? Um, we are not going to be permitted, I believe, to cross the Canadian border right. for quite some time. Yeah. And in that regard, uh, at least for the next six months, uh, I believe that these practices will clearly stick, that some of them will need to be adjusted as we go through the uh, the winter. Um, on a longer term basis, um, I'm less confident that they will stick because it is critically important Uh, In the role that I occupy and other CEOs occupy to be present, not only through Zoom and uh, emails and teleconferences and things like that, but to be eyeball to eyeball with uh, employees, with customers, with stakeholders, with government, with media. And we're all being given this reprieve now. Uh, But once travel does pick up again, I was in Vancouver every second week, uh, pretty much for two and a half years. I suspect that I'll be doing that and the opportunity to uh, retain some of the healthy practices that I have um, enjoyed will be more challenging to uh, continue. Just
0: watch the takeout stuff, that's all,
1: right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, well, it's been a
0: real privilege to talk to you and I thank you for your, uh, your time and support today. It's a good, good conversation, really got an understanding about the impact so far and uh, and some of the near-term speculation on where it's going to lead
1: Good, well wonderful to be with you Uh, Stay healthy both at home and in the community and in your business and I look forward to being uh, Eyeball to eyeball with you and enjoying a meal uh, Hopefully early next year, Kirk.
0: Good. Doran Grossman is the CEO of GCT Terminals and uh, you've been watching our special series this week on the future of transportation. I hope you'll listen to other uh, versions of this, uh, other editions of it. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief of Business in Vancouver. Thank you so much for your time.